Yep. I'm just gonna do a little podcast because you know what? Everyone's everyone's leaving out of town and uh, talked about it the other day, like the uh, Thanksgiving people going home and forgetting about the football game. I might add. Definitely, there was a few people that I think uh, would have been nice to have Matt Faro fill the house on uh, Saturday, but you know what can you do? It was uh, it was a good game for Mizzou when it got to overtime, especially. Great game, great finish. Um, Coach Drinkwitz said they practiced the uh, the uh, two point conversion play in practice every Tuesday. Was it every every Wednesday or something? And I think that's unique to Mizzou because I've never heard of that. I don't think we ever did that under Pinkle that I can remember on practice team. We did practice uh, two point conversions, but uh, and Blaine Blaine was very good at them, by the way. Like if there, like usually I feel like it was just a uh, an out route, like a corner of the end zone fade type deal, and and Blaine had a good arm for that. So, but the but the play we ran on uh, Saturday looked like a dead play. It looked like a complete shit show. And Connor had been throwing on his back foot all day. Kylie pointed that out um, on Twitter. And he's right, by the way. Brandon Kylie's always making good points, especially when it comes to Chiefs football. But Mizzou, too. And, of course, I was his roommate here. So, <laughs> down the hall, I should say. But um, BK is right on that. I mean, he was throwing off his back foot all day. It was kind of shitty. I thought for sure they would make a quarterback change. And I, I even tweeted it out, brought to you by Deerberg's, a quarterback change. I pick up your turkey today for the holiday season. Deerberg's has everything you need for your beautiful Thanksgiving meal. And that quarterback change brought to you by Deerberg's didn't actually pan out. So there, there was no quarterback change. But I gave Deer, uh, Deerberg's a shout out nonetheless because um, I feel like it's important. It's a great place to work. Uh, when you're in high school and stuff, bagging those groceries. So, anyway, um, we we left Connor in there, and and like I said at the beginning of the year, it's new to me to be able to be around a guy and watch him develop because I've always seen like a finished product more or less. I mean, kind of James Franklin developed a little bit, but I was like distant from the team at that point. Like I was still living in Columbia, going to school here, but. I was not around the football team, and so I never really saw James come into his own. Now, I'm friends with James. He's an awesome guy, does a lot for the community. He's a very big Christian. Um, you know, he's very into his faith, and his, his father's a pastor, but I just don't know of a better example than the potential of Connor Bazelak developing kind of as I'm here and, and watching him from game to game. And unfortunately, when you're injured, when you're injured, it looks a little different, and when you can't throw on on both feet. So you, you when you, I mean, look, Patrick Mahomes, we know throws on the run incredibly well. Russell Wilson, another one. But when you're in college and you're a pocket passer and you're not really much of a dual threat, both your feet are pretty important, you know, to stand in that pocket and deliver the ball down the field. It's incredibly important to have healthy legs, to, to, to be able to put your weight forward, to be able to you know pivot backward and still have both your feet kind of in the ground and you know your shoulders square, 
there, there's a lot that goes into the mechanics of the quarterback position. I See, I learned from um, kind of interesting point because he's a dentist now, uh, Chase Patton. He had these quarterback videos when I was in high school that they uh, would send out to all the high school kids. Um, and, like, I was a backup quarterback, right? Like I, They mostly used me at the strong safety position, outside linebacker, come down on some certain coverages. But, you know, I don't have the height to be a quarterback. And so they would – Put me in there like run the bootleg and you know that's great like i was i was fast and i get it like i scored every time i had the ball basically and that was that was when i played quarterback but i did learn how to throw pretty well and i didn't throw a lot when i actually got in the game like i said they used me pretty much like straight tim tebow and but not really much throwing whatsoever and but his mechanics videos were some of the best at the time and the way you know he he taught you to throw it you know with your feet and and your arms and your wrist angle is very important and chase was like a backup quarterback obviously under brad smith and then under chase daniel but but chase Patton just had his mechanics down like i couldn't think of a better um backup quarterback to have at the division one level at that time 2005 2006 whatever whatever it was but he's a dentist now chase Patton. so shout out to chase hope he's doing well he's got a dentist office here in columbia um and but anyway, so the point is, like, I was really looking forward to seeing Connor develop, but it, it does take a step back. It hinders that development when there is any sort of injury, um, obviously to, to the legs, more or less, you know. Um, you know, your shoulder injury, that's that's a big deal, too. That probably will get you not even uh, in the starting lineup. In this case, he started. He played the whole game. They didn't even put Brady in. I guess they wanted to ensure that Tyler had his – Tyler making had his red shirt. So he's good to go for next year, and, and that'll be really interesting to see in the offseason what, well, essentially by the time spring football rolls around, um, kind of your depth chart at the quarterback position might look a little different, you know, um, and I think a lot of a lot of us around the team are looking forward to that, but but we're not going to cut Connor short. Um, we don't, we, we want him to develop, we want him to succeed, and, you know, at, at large, we want our football team to continue to progress and do well and uh, move in the right direction. And, and I think going to this next bowl game, uh, after this Arkansas game, going to the bowl game will get us some confidence. We have some great recruits coming in, obviously, a great signing class already. I think they're going to make more strides there. Between now and February, whatever the case is, I think it's uh, signing day. I think it's due by mid-February usually, maybe March. It could be. That could be wrong. I don't, I don't really know the exact date on that one, but but yeah. So um, it, it you know it'll be it'll be an interesting depth chart once spring football rolls around the black and gold game, of course. But you know I I like Connor and I hope he does well and I want him, I want us like him to finish finish strong. And so I was going through the bowl games just kind of with the intent to look at first what do the bowl games look for. And this is very important because bowl games bring folks together, the alumni, um, the students, the ones that can make the trip with their families because, again, it's over it's over break. So, you know, you can make a trip with your father, your mother, aunts and uncles, whatever, get down to Memphis or San Antonio, and it's just kind of a fun little couple days. You know, you get, get to go to a bowl game, get to see some sights around town. 
And I was thinking to myself, isn't there like some sort of charity auction or something? I mean, I've heard of these in the past where they have them. Like, I know at the Insight Bowl, there was kind of like a gala raising money for cancer or something. And I'm trying to think if there's anything like that in, in like recent history. Because obviously the Insight Bowl was in like 2010. <laughs> I was complaining on the last podcast, by the way, about the Insight.com Bowl uh, backpack that everyone had. And I never got one. That's okay. That's okay. It's all good. But... Um, I just, uh, it's it's interesting to see the attendance because I think the bowl games, like I said, look for that because they get to, they get the, the say, really. I mean, it comes down to matchups. Like, they have partnerships with certain conferences. You see, um, you know, there's always a bowl game like the Texas Bowl where it's always an SEC against the Big 12 or the same for the Liberty Bowl in Memphis. I believe it's also SEC against Big 12. So, you have certain bowl games just have those contracts and you know for sure they're going to be like this conference versus that conference kind of like this team kind of the, a middle tier team from that conference a six or seven one team so you have an idea and that's how they're able to compile their bowl projections now another thing they do is if especially if the team is like there's one team in the sec west like a i don't know mississippi state and one team in the East, like in Missouri, and they have identical records. They didn't play each other. We really don't know who's better. So what that will come down to, I believe, is the uh, bowl committee for that particular game having final say. Like, who are we going to invite? What would make this bowl game uh, better for for our our site, for our venue? And I think that largely comes down to ability to travel. And I was taking home, and I go back to Lyft a lot, <laughs> just kind of a side job I do, right? And But I was taking home some guys from Nebraska the other day. One thing, you, you know, Nebraska always has an advantage, even when they have a bad year, because you know they're going to get invited to a rather decent bowl game just based on their availability of fans to travel. They're willing to travel. They like to travel. It's a very big tradition in Nebraska. You know, go Big Red. I get it. So... Mizzou has not always traveled the best. We we do travel, not always the best. So um, I was looking at some of our past attendance records, and I would like to see some improvement here. And it's a lot to ask because, first of all, obviously it's over break, right? So it's like the students have to do their own lobbying, basically. <laughs> like, hey, Dad, Mom, uh, what are you guys doing on the uh, 28th? You know, I know we're going to be in, uh, in Florida for Christmas. Maybe we could... Scoot on up to Memphis for a little bowl game action. You know, you got to really lobby. And I was talking about that for Thanksgiving purposes, too. Like, you have to market yourself when you go home for the holidays. Same could be said for for things like raising money, like philanthropical things or just events like a bowl game. And, yeah, I mean, it, it does benefit the greater good because, like, you're putting money towards your school. Like, you're attending a big game. You're, you know, you're part of the school. And it's like, that's why I was kind of upset when... You have folks going home on Friday, you know, basically six days before Thanksgiving even is, right? I mean, if you go home Friday, which a lot of people did last Friday, Thanksgiving is, is this week on Thursday. Like, today's Tuesday. So, I'm just saying, like, when there's a big game on Friday, you don't see that too often where a school that is pretty, you know, I would say it's predominantly a football school, and we'll get into that in a little bit because I have a little uh, spiel about that. Uh, going back to my sports marketing course that I took years ago. But 
more or less we are a football heavy institution uh, at this point like we we are known well we're obviously in the SEC and we're not we're not the biggest SEC uh, tailgate venue we're not we're not you know we're not Ole Miss we're not Alabama or, or Georgia but we're, we're up there and I think we've put together a heck of a tradition here and so I give credit to the institution to the fans to the alumni and some students or recent alumni but then you have these students like I said like 18 19 year olds that are just going home before the game man and I'm like what are you guys doing like it's kind of a big game like we're gonna be bull eligible tomorrow uh, with the W which which we got thank God great job Connor on the last throw off your back foot there um, and it's just like I was I was looking at all these people going like heading towards the highway Friday evening and I'm just like really I would never go home when there's when there's a football game against Florida and I get it we're we were a 500 team at that point but still it's like I don't know like to me like I want to support my my guys uh, I'm a football guy so of course I'm going to stick around but I just I was telling my dad like because he knows this like when I from when I was here as an undergrad years ago uh, I mean not too long ago obviously but even our first couple years in the SEC like I wouldn't have seen this sort of thing I wouldn't have seen so many people leave so I don't know what it is man but that's just kind of pathetic I believe and you know uh, it would have been nice to fill the zoo with you know 70,000 strong I think we still got about 50 around 55 maybe on uh on Saturday, so it wasn't awful. It wasn't awful, but you like to see the the underclassmen stick around for for a rather big game um, against an institution like Florida. So, you know, if it was Vanderbilt, I can understand. But like these are two, both have the same record at that point, both 500 ball clubs, and so it's just kind of like, where are you guys going? But and and hopefully that won't. How do I say this? Hopefully it won't dictate us getting. Instead of the Gator Bowl to like the Liberty Bowl, which wouldn't be the end of the world. I think many people would actually like to go to Memphis, and I'll talk about that in a bit. Um, so yeah, let's dive into that actually, because it's important I think to look at the attendance because the bowl games will look for that. Like I said, when there's a situation where you have similar records from one team in the East and one team in the West, and Missouri travels fairly well, like again, not Nebraska level, but but pretty well. And I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, um, I have a uh, statistic here from a very good team that um, I, I guess we lost to Auburn in 13 in the SEC championship. Still got to go to a great bowl game, the Cotton Bowl, and that's in Dallas. So I think a lot of it, as I mentioned with the Liberty Bowl in the last podcast, we're, we're more likely to fill that stadium because Memphis is not very far from a a major alumni city like St. Louis, you know, or, or just fans in general, you know. There's there's obviously no NFL team in St. Louis. And I might do a podcast on that this week because I think it's important, but nonetheless, that's one where you could see a lot of black and gold in the stands in Memphis and, you know, reasonably so. But Dallas is another one. And in recent years, maybe not so much, but when I was here before and and I think when Chase Daniel, he brought probably a lot of kind of those upper middle class or more affluent suburbs of Dallas. I love to see that. I mean, to me, like when I could walk to class and there's there's Tim Kalashaw's daughter, you know, like I feel pretty good about myself. Like I feel like I'm going places, you know, and I love Tim Kalashaw from Pardon the Interruption or whatever it is. 
Um, but uh, it's not part of the interruption, by the way. It's, it's another show. It's similar to that on ESPN. And anyway, so when you see Tim Collishaw and, and he's taking his daughter to dropping her off at DG over there, like, you know, you feel like you're in good company. And uh, that's what I'm talking about. So when you when you have a major alumni base like, like St. Louis or Dallas even for a, a time period, maybe it's not quite there right now, but Dallas is one where we had 72,000. 70,000 people, you guys, in uh, in 2013 filling the stands of the Cotton Bowl. I mean, they weren't all Mizzou fans, but 72,000. That's a sell out, uh, sold-out crowd for that Cotton Bowl. So when I see that, I'm like, okay, there's a good chance that pretty much any bowl around Dallas will gladly invite Mizzou, right? Like we're, we sh- we've shown in past years that we can travel there. We have a decent alumni base there. We have fans there, and we can fill the stands. That's important. Uh, and then the other one I was looking at, which was kind of, I guess we had, and this one is, is interesting because it was a really good year, but it wasn't as good as the 2013 team, I think, but the record was basically the same. So 2014, obviously, we went back to the SEC Championship. We won the SEC East. The SEC East. Um, so anytime you win the SEC East, you expect to make a decent bowl game, even if you lose the championship, which we proceeded to do, uh, because we played a certain Alabama. You know, that's that'll happen. Um, but I don't think it was on us for this bowl game, and here's why. Um, we went on to the Citrus Bowl after losing, of course, like I said, to Alabama in the SEC championship. And the Citrus Bowl is a very good game. Florida, lots of alumni, lots of kind of elderly Older alumni that actually, when they were probably at Mizzou, we had a decent team back in the 60s or 70s, I believe. Like Mike Shannon era. (laughs) Um, But it's in Orlando, and there's a decent amount of Mizzou people around there and and people willing to to travel to Orlando for a game like that. Considering it's late December, early January, weather's not great in in St. Louis or Chicago or Dallas even. So, you, you know, you could see how people could want to have a little vacation and enjoy some football in Orlando and, you know, cheer on the Tigers on a great season. Now, this bowl game, I don't think was our fault that we only had 48,000 people there. I don't think this is completely on us because you know why? We played Minnesota, okay? And that's a very tough trip from Minnesota to Orlando, Florida. I mean, that's, I don't know how long that is, but I'm willing to guess that's, that's like probably like the equivalent of like New Hampshire or something like to Florida because a lot of people you get a lot of New Yorkers obviously to Florida and that's a trip like it's basically the same distance as St. Louis or Kansas City but Minnesota that's like I mean that's like going all the way up to New Hampshire on 95 like that's that's pretty far and I'm pretty sure there's not a straight shot to Minnesota I mean I'm thinking about it just off the top of my head and I believe Minnesota is about 10 hours from St. Louis like north like pretty much just due north so when you think about it like that, I don't think you could put the blame on us so much as to why there was only 48,000 people in the stands for the Citrus Bowl. You know, I know we came off of a bad loss to Alabama in the SEC Championship, but again, we have, a, you know, a pretty good little alumni base, uh, Southeast area, Florida, and I just don't, I, I don't know why that attendance was so low for that game specifically 
but I can tell you it largely might have come down to Minnesota's inability to travel and to get down to that game. Um, but it could be a little bit of both, right? I just I just look at our other bowls, and there's a lot more people. You know, we had 69,000 at the Texas Bowl um, in 2009. That was was that Blaine's first year? I believe that was Blaine's first year starting. And we had 69,000 people in Houston for the Texas Bowl. That, to me, is something that I think the bowl committee sees, and they see we obviously fill the stands in Texas more so than we do in Florida. Although, like I said, I don't think you can completely put that on us when there's certain bowls against certain teams that are much further away from a place like Florida, and maybe that's, maybe that's why we're not getting so many invites because I look at our bowl games in years past, and, yeah, it's, it's largely uh, Houston, Dallas, uh, Memphis, right? Nashville for the Music City Bowl. But uh, that that Texas Bowl really likes us because I'll tell you why. There wasn't a higher attendance than the 69,000 that we brought in 09 until like five years later. Five years later, it was Arkansas against uh, A&M, right? Or maybe it was Arkansas against te- uh, Texas, actually. And that that brought in seventy one thousand, but you could—I mean, it's in Texas, so you're gonna get those folks. And Arkansas has got a very big alumni base in Dallas, obviously. That's why they call it UT Fayetteville. But it took them five years to get anywhere near the amount of people that we brought in in two thousand nine, and that was a very good Missouri team in two thousand nine, coming in second place in the Big Twelve North to just Nebraska because we lost a very ugly rainy night game on ESPN. God, that was tough. That was a bad one. But anyway, take a quick break. Talk a little more about bowl games and things that we can expect to see going forward. I'll tell you why I think we're going to the Texas Bowl. Actually, I pretty much already did. But we'll dive into some other stuff, too. Um, just, a, just a little easygoing podcast. You know, a lot of people out of town and uh, got nothing else to do. We'll talk a little sports, a little health. All right. <laughs> a little Chicago action. You know, before I played Audio Slave, and uh, <laughs> I love Audio Slave. Yeah, I, was, I wasn't that, really was not that big into him for a number of years, and I just thought it was, it was like too grungy, right? Like, I'm not big, I'm not huge on early 90s grunge. I was very young then, and I just didn't have like a lot of, like, my dad only listened to like classic rock. If the grunge stuff came on, he tended to turn the channel. But, um,. I just, you know, like I've gotten more respect for it in years past because I realized it's an art. And uh, Tom Morello, I saw him the other night on PBS, uh, interview with Tom Morello, who's uh, really a trailblazer in the music scene. And I know this is like totally off topic from sports and health, but maybe a little health stuff, right? Um, because he was a trailblazer in multiple ways. He was, he was a Harvard grad. Um, there's not obviously too many Harvard grads in like the heavy hard rock scene uh, at that time in the early '90s, and he he, te- he self-taught himself how to play guitar at Harvard. You guys, pretty pretty cool stuff. But um, even before that, he was the son of a Kenyan uh, professor who came to Chicago from Harlem. So Tom was born in Harlem and uh, he moved in with his mother in Chicago uh, after I guess his parents split up or something, and. So he's like a really light-skinned, half-black dude 
and um, he his mother had trouble getting a home when she got a, a when she was interviewing for teaching but she was a teacher so she was interviewing for teaching positions in the Chicago suburbs and uh, kind of found one that's like kind of a white upper middle class you know type town like not affluent affluent but affluent to a degree nice little town called Libertyville Illinois and I've been to Libertyville it's a great town um, and now I think there's there's probably more than than three black kids in a, in a graduating class but when he was there he was like one of three but he was the first and like going back to like elementary school whenever they moved there so it was kind of interesting and they weren't sure like how to make him kind of marketable to the neighbors because the neighbors had their uh like kind of skepticism regarding like mixed race or whatever and um so basically what the realtor proceeded to tell the neighbors um to try to get his mother a home so she could take the teaching job at libertyville high school uh was that he's like basically a kenyan prince on that side so not to worry he's not like he's not from chicago he's like literally from africa like a kenyan prince on that side of the family and and the funny thing is, his name's Tom Morello, so I had no idea, like, about his upbringing until the PBS interview the other night. I just think it's so cool. Um, and that to hear his guitar, his rhythm guitar, like, for Audio Slave and Rage Against the Machine and um, some of these other works that he's come up with. He's, he's got a new album coming out soon, but it's just, like, a very... It, he puts a lot of heart and a lot of energy, and there's, like, a bit of politics in his music. Like, not only in the lyrics, but, like, you hear the rhythm guitar, and it's like an art, you know? And that to me is just so cool. And now I'm going back and listening to Audio Slave, and I, I love a couple songs uh, that he did. And he's even like got Modest Yahoo on a few albums in years past with other, a lot of collaboration, a lot of collaboration. But um, the funny thing is, because when I saw him on uh, PBS the other night, I'm looking at it, and it's like, it says Tom Morello. He's got like this little hat on, it has like the Illinois, like the state of Illinois. And like, I'm not from Illinois, but of course, I've got some family up there, and it's like, I, he just sounds like a normal Illinois guy. And his last name is Morello. So he, to me, he just sounded like a, a Italian from Chicago. And because his skin color is like pretty light, right? And then he goes on to talk about his upbringing and how they had to talk about how he's a Kenyan prince uh, to get a home in Libertyville with his mother, who's like a white Irish woman, right? Um, I just thought that was so cool, so funny. It's like, it's amazing what people think about you um, just based on your name, right? Like Morello, obviously Italian name. Um, but you know, and then you hear he's, he's actually like from Kenya on his dad's side and, um, just a white Irish on his mom's side. So it's pretty interesting when you get down and you, uh, hear about upbringings and heritage. And so anyway, but, uh, Chicago, the great Chicago leading us into the next session talking about, you know, college basketball is one thing. And I had like a little spiel I was going to get into, uh, because I think we were largely, a basketball school for a number of years but this was like in the 90s like the norm stewart um kind of era he was like one of the best coaches ever in the old big a conference i guess and then big 12 eventually and i just think like listening to those games on the radio those old basketball games like i'd be in the car with my dad coming up from football practice or baseball practice even um you know the winter sports whatever and or hockey even and uh, i just whatever I'd, I'd be in the car with my dad and and we listened to Mizzou basketball games. We never really went to too many games. Like I said, bragging rights was one thing in St. Louis against Illinois. That was always a big game. But uh, we never really went to too many basketball games here at the Hearn Center. But I remember watching them on TV and, like I said, listening in the car. And 
just hearing the roar of the arena, it was like really a scene. And, and I think we were, obviously the rivalry with KU was much bigger then because we were in the Big 12 and KU was very, very good. And we were always pretty good too. So I just think it's funny. We've kind of transformed. And I would say basically kind of since Brad Smith got here and Gary Pinkle building the football program that it is today, and many kids that are like undergrads, uh, freshmen, sophomores, you know, or maybe that's the generation that kind of has basketball on their mind is kind of coming back to a big basketball institution because we've been better at basketball the past couple of seasons anyway. Not taking anything away from the football program because we've gone through a coaching change, but I'm just saying um, for many years we were known as basketball. And then kind of in the mid-2000s with Brad Smith at the helm and then Chase Daniel obviously and Blaine Gabbard, we were so football, like not even close. Like we had a great basketball team one year with uh, – Mike Anderson, I think, a, a year later, and then he left, and then Frank Hayth. So they were very good basketball teams, and we were not only a basketball or a football school at that time, but you could say basketball as well. But I think for the most part, the student body that came here, and this is we talk about this in sports marketing all the time, is like, you know, marketing an institution and using athletics to do that. Uh, you think about Alabama with football, or obviously Duke with basketball, North Carolina with with basketball. There's so many great examples, but. When you think about Missouri, and I think we've, we've kind of come back to a football school um, now. Uh, maybe we never got away from that. But the past few seasons, you'd have to say we were a little more competitive in the, in the arena than we were on the football field. And I guess not having any fans will, will do that. But, you know, um, kind of some sluggish years under Barry Odom and not the best last couple of years under Gary Pinkle. And now, you know, we're... We're doing okay. We're back to a bowl game. So my point is, how does Mizzou look to an outsider? And I think it's very important. It's like, are we, are we looking like a basketball institution like we were kind of in the 90s? Or, or are we back to kind of being that, you know, um, soon-to-be breakthrough football school like we were in the last few years of the Big 12 Conference and then the first few years of our transition to the SEC? Big football school at that time, you'd have to say, right? Like, you go to the SEC Championship, you go to the Big 12 Championship before that, you know, things are looking up. You're getting a lot of people from Dallas that are looking like, hey, I want to come to a school that has a good college football team. Don't really care so much about the basketball, but it's great you have a good team, you know? And that was kind of the deal. Um, and now I just don't know where we're at with that. So it's, it's interesting to hear what students are saying, what we look like at this point. And maybe this basketball season will largely dictate that, how it ends up being for next season as far as you know what the high school seniors and juniors are looking like um to come to campus because that's a big thing it's like how do you market your institution um and and how does the institution respond to that you know like does the football team perform well when people come here because they expect a good product on the field it was interesting when i was um down uh, kind of to the same respect as like when I was a senior, making my official visit down to Tallahassee, and I use this example because it was well past the Florida State prime. Like, and I know they got back to the national championship when I was a senior at Mizzou. <laughs> like, of course, right? In twenty fourteen or twenty thirteen, I guess it was technically. Florida State football kind of got back on the map with 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 Jimbo in that twenty thirteen season. But before that, like when I was down in twenty ten, uh, the spring of yeah, the spring of ten for my official visit and whatnot. 
they were even like admittedly being like some of the older people that would show you around campus and stuff would, would say things like, you know, I came here for the football team, but yeah, I know we're not very good anymore. That was like that you could hear that like that there's echoes of that all throughout Tallahassee, but like it didn't matter because people still love to be in Tallahassee, and there was still like this idea like the football team could do well, you know like it doesn't it it, it no national championship since ninety nine at that point, so it had been like ten years right, but there was an idea that it could do well, you know like it like it was on the precipice of doing well. And the basketball team wasn't bad either. Of course, they play in the ACC. Uh, a little difficult over there with, with Duke and NC, but and they beat us last night, of course. But So maybe it's a timely timely uh, transition to talk about this. But, yeah, for sure, like, there's just certain things that you look for as, uh, as a high school senior or junior when you're making your final decision, regardless of, even, regardless of if you play athletics, right? Like, you know, as I'm looking at Michael Porter Jr. right now for Denver, it's like... It doesn't matter if you play basketball, hope to play basketball. You want to see a good product, you want to have some entertainment, and you want to have a social life. Social health is a big deal. So I think anytime, you know, you see these major athletes that go, you know, draft picks one through five in the NBA or NFL, uh, Blaine Gabbert was obviously one in the NFL, and Michael Porter Jr. in the NBA, creates a lot of hype and it you know brings a lot of attention to the university to that particular athletic program and uh, gets butts in the stands like you know more alumni buy season tickets for that next year for that next season because there's a lot of potential that we see in the program. So um, you know looking back, I think it was always basketball here on campus for a number of years until it was football and then it really got to be football heavy like i said but um i think at this point (laughs) it's kind of funny and i I don't want to be like a total a-hole but i think right now if if you talk about mizzou we're neither football nor basketball no no it's just uh it's just a school at this point and i i think i uh i think we're waiting for the next like major athlete to come through maybe that's luther burden you know, maybe that's like for many years. By the way, shout out to DGB. I heard about he got busted again in Springfield. Uh, I guess for some weed, some weed stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, didn't he get busted like near Faro, like behind Faro Field, uh, where there's that parking lot where people park their cars, undergrads that don't have anywhere else to park. Um, I feel like he was smoking weed in a car with a bunch of kids um, after practice or something, like maybe a sophomore season, and he got busted. But, you know, he had to sit out a couple games. And um, I guess, like, he's back at it with the weed. But, you know, it's like it's just weed at the end of the day. And, by God, it's legal in, like, many, many places. So, like, come on, man. Like, I, I just feel like it's just one of these things, like, I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer to, to my friends in the legal system, but we're talking about weed, right? I mean, that's that's like many states are, are well past that. Like it's, I guess maybe it's proven to be a gateway drug for many people, but for many people it, it's not at all. And um, I think it's important, like Rick Ankiel for the Cardinals, you know, he was talking about how he, you know, dabbled with things and and then he stopped pitching because of it. Um, and and I don't know. I'm not suggesting, by the way, that DGB like he's only good when he's high or something. I don't think that's true. 
I think it'd be very high to very high, very difficult to be <laughs> high all the time, like at football practice and stuff. But um, and on you know game days, but I just think we're talking about weed, right? Like I just think we're like so past that, and like I, I get like look, I'm I'm all about like law and order and stuff like that, but when it comes down to weed, like I'm a middle of the road guy, and I stick up for for folks that are just smoking a little reefer, you know? Like I don't think it, I think it is a harmless activity, by the way. I think for many it is not a harmless activity. It kind of recently, some generations they, they think of it as like some sort of violent capsule you know and it's not i mean for, for i think it all depends who you surround yourself with first of all with that stuff and that's the real you know that's the real problem it's like we don't know what people are taking it for like what reasons and what they're accustomed to and so when it comes down to certain customs and like you think about like the stoners in the 70s obviously they're not very you know like they're not looking for violence they're looking to just like kick back and smoke a little weed talk about intellectual stuff and listen to Jimi hendrix man you know and and like i don't know what dgb's doing like truly i don't i don't really know the guy I never talked to him you know I, I was off the practice team when he got to campus and we had some really good seasons i know with him and he was a high pick in the nfl draft and i hope the same for luther burden but i one thing i'll tell luther you know, if you're doing the reefer, I know, you know, maybe he went to uh, Cardinal Ritter or something for a couple of years. So his discipline's probably pretty high. But it's just like, man, this is a real problem. Like they're targeting certain people for bullcrap stuff like weed. So maybe just cut out the weed stuff, you know, or watch who you hang out with and, and do it in close circles. That's all. So I don't know what I'm saying, but uh dgb yeah dgb busted again in springfield this week um so quick shout out to him but hopefully he gets his act together and or or and and or we can find a way to legalize it or give more folks medical marijuana cards in states like missouri so uh there you have it but um right now yeah neither football nor basketball mizzou neither one i mean to be honest with you like i we're waiting for the next round of just really good athletes, like a really good team to come through. And we just haven't seen it yet. That's all. I think, I think by the way, you win a football game, you get invited to a game like, I don't know, the Gator bowl. And you get like a big group to go down there, like a very social group that creates a lot of hype around the, the bowl game and the team wins the bowl game. And that could be a turning point, you know, that could be a turning point. So it's all about who you surround yourself with and who those folks surround themselves themselves with, whether that be a football program or basketball program, you know the antlers are always very vocal. But I think it does take like a big alumni base with some endowment and a big turnout, like at a bowl game, like the Gator Bowl, which I I hope we get invited to because I think it'd be great to go down to Florida for a few days <laughs> in late December. But you know, I I think it'd be cool Texas Bowl too. I've never been to Houston, so why not? And, of course, the one that we're projected to get to and a few folks, different compilations I, I see is this Liberty Bowl in uh, Memphis, which would be cool. A lot of people like Memphis, a lot of formals down there, semi-formals. Uh, so Beale Street, what can you say? Good times. But um, So I'm looking forward to bowl season. I'm looking forward to seeing if the basketball team responds well from a, from a tough loss against Florida State. Remember, they just they just kind of lost to UMKC. It was a bit unexpected at that. But I think Florida State, you know, we can see they're a very good team. 
And so, you know, that one is kind of foreseeable. So I just, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not quite going to enter the transfer portal, not that I'm a student athlete at this point. I just came for school and a master's program. But, but I'm close to entering the transfer portal. Not, it has nothing to do with sports, by the way. But I'm just saying when you look around and there's other schools that maybe have a, a good master's program that I could get into and do my podcast there with some, you know, um, surrounded by good folks because that's half the battle um you know that's a big thing so surrounding yourself with good people and uh and it's like i can't even get a podcast out when i'm surrounded by certain people it's just like so unhealthy you know freedom of speech is a, is a big deal so all right well, that's it for me uh heisman projections bryce young 100 he looks really good this week he's gonna have a great platform in the iron bowl on uh, thursday and that'll really project himself uh, to get that invite to New York and, and probably get the Heisman, you know. So Bryce Young doing big things for Bama. Uh, Matt Corral, you know, he's, he's very injured, but I thought he was definitely the, the guy that was going to get it back in October. Many people thought the same. But a couple key losses for Ole Miss, and he's been injured. So he's not been his best self. And that's been really tough to watch. And he's not returning to Ole Miss next year, by the way. He's going to the NFL. Should be a top 10, top 15 pick uh, for sure. But it's been 40 minutes. I've been talking a lot. And I'm trying to get my podcast on my website, goodtimesforsure.org. Goodtimesforsure.org. And hopefully we'll figure this out this week. It's kind of a little quiet around here. Still smells like a lot of weed maybe down the hall. But other than that, we're good. And, uh, yeah, good times. All right.